well, without further ado, uh, welcome back, everybody, to Jokerman, a podcast about Columbia recording artist Bob Dylan. Uh, hope you enjoyed our last episode when we took you back to the movies with the 1987 classic Hearts of Fire. Uh, today, we're going to be switching gears back to uh, music, which is probably why you started listening to this in the first place, uh, with a live album that is... Uh, it's it is a live album. We can certainly say that. Uh, I'm Ian, uh, as always, joined by Evan. Evan, and today, fortunately, uh, because uh, this live album is the great Dylan and the Dead, or maybe not the great Dylan and the Dead, but is the Dylan and the Dead record. Uh, yeah, we are joined uh, by several uh, guests. Actually, this is the first uh, four person. Uh, Jokerman recording that we've managed to wrangle up. Uh, Walter Martin of uh, the New York Stalwarts, the Walkman, and uh, his friend uh, Mylan, uh, both of whom are, are are dead experts. Well, yeah, I'd say Mylan's a dead expert. Something like more of a dead expert than we are. About but you have firsthand dead contact. I, I understand. I mean, I do. I, I'm oh, not, he played with Bob Weir. Let's get that on the table just to start. We can throw that out there, yeah. I did. Well, I saw them a bunch in that era. The era of the album was when I was going to shows all the time. So back uh, 85, 86, 87? Well, no. I mean, it was released in 89. It was recorded in 87, and I started going to shows in 88. Sure. Yeah. My point being is that um, we're doing our due diligence. That's that's my main <laughs> thrust of. You no, know, I got to play with Bob. Yeah, Bob Weir. The National like did a did a. Uh, they were they somehow connected with. Him. I forget how that happened, but anyway, they were doing like um, like like uh, a session where they're backing him up at his studio out in San Rafael, California. And since I know those guys, they needed like an organ player like to do the pig pen parts. Nice. And they know that I do primitive uh, Vox Continental, so I got the gig. Wow, that's a very specialized skill to... to... <laughs> yeah. And Stephen Gaskin um, is a friend of my mom's. He's St. Stephen. I got oh. high with him. So wow. that's where... We had yeah. two, two direct connections. He's St. <laughs> Stephen. No, Waltz is better. I mean, I don't know. Yeah, Those are, the, your mom is friends with St. Stephen of St. Stephen? With Stephen Gaskin? Yeah. The Gaskins um, ran a commune in Tennessee called The Farm. And uh, yeah, so they were grateful that adjacent, that commune. And they Robert Hunter wrote the lyrics about Stephen Gaskin. And, you know, so I know him. Ina May Gaskin was a founder of the modern midwifery movement, but that's a digression. That's uh, <laughs> perfect for what we're doing. We, as many okay. digressions as you've got, just give, <laughs> give them all up. That's the name of the game here. So, so Mylan, what was it like, uh, you know, before maybe we get into the record, it, since you were seeing the dead actually, you know, in the flesh there in 88, 89, what was, what, what was the vibe there? Well, I mean, I feel like that was just really their heyday in terms of just, the part it was just such a well-established like what year sorry what year did uh the hit record come out the touch of gray in the dark came out in 87 okay so yeah touch of gray um, great great tune everyone loves touch of gray yeah it was a hit and yeah did they write that as a hit so it was that designed to be popular no i think they were just it just happened i doubt that what no i mean i think they were just like hap i think it was luck i doubt that 
But anyway, for the record, <laughs> I think it was luck. I don't, I mean, I think everything that dead, like they, if they tried to have a hit, they'd never have a hit, you know? It had to be a long time. Okay. Touch of Grey is uh, something that I know that Dylan played at, or they played at a Dylan show at least once uh, I'm aware of. And I thought it was such a great, uh, a perfect fit really for having, having Dylan on the bill and playing Touch of Grey, especially if you see pictures of what Dylan looked like when he was playing with them. (laughs) He didn't look great. He didn't look very haggard during that period. Yeah. He had like the sort of the hooded sweatshirt look, you know? It seemed like he was wearing like four layers of cardigans and hoodies. Yeah. And just like a big beard. A lot of zippers. Yeah. That was like the the, the uh, We Are the World footage period. What, what, what year is Maybe was, earlier. That was, that was 85. Um, 85. Or just early 85 when he was in the middle of tracking Empire Burlesque. Uh, another one of right, our favorite right. uh, periods of, <laughs> of Bob's uh, life. Right. Yeah. That was a tricky period for old Bobby. Yeah. yeah, well, I would say like as far as the dead go in the '80s, that was like when the boomer generation was coming into its own, and it was just really like the vibe at all the shows was really high flying, and like you know, people were spending a lot to go to the shows and tour and get hotels and party, and so they, the dead are making a killing, probably. Yeah, and like, but and it's just you know, it's coming to light more and more. Like they were making a killing, but they had like huge overhead because they. You know, they paid their crew pretty well, I guess. And um, it was like, you know, a family operation. And, you know, and like the Jerry Garcia band formed as a side project to finance Jerry's drug habit. So they weren't making enough money for that. Jesus. Right. Yeah. You need a little extra for that. Yeah, so and <laughs> conversely, Bob Dylan playing these shows with the dead is like him financing his personal drug habits through. through is, that what it, but, <laughs> is that what it was? Though? I don't know. I'm, I'm being facetious, but. Um, because I think that my recollection is that he was on tour with. He, I guess Tom Petty was opening for Bob. Yeah. The, the heartbreakers were the, the heartbreakers were the backing band for Bob. I oh, think in 86. Okay, and he was sort of at a low point, I think. Right. You know, it was a long, it was a long low point, I'd say. I got <laughs> an extended low. We've really just found ourselves in the last few episodes, and I think what is the consensus, like bottom of the barrel. I saw I right. saw Dylan in '89, and I thought yeah, I saw him in '89 really too. Hammered. It was when G.E. Smith was the band leader in '89. Yeah, yeah, I saw him there. Yeah, in, in D.C. in '89, and it was. It was right. I guess I was in ninth grade. It was right when I started we to, to be really into him, and I was just like, just pissed. Just I was did, like, did it have it? Disappointing. It's terrible. Mm-hmm. This is uh, right before, at least where where we're at in the chronology um, is like not quite at uh, Oh Mercy, which is something of a career shift, a, a rejuvenation point. Because the other records before it were so bad. Yeah, exactly. What what year is uh what is the decent one there? Shot of Love has a couple good songs. Oh, does it? <laughs> I guess it does. They don't like. They think you're an ass. <laughs> shot of well, Shot of Love was earlier. Shot of Love was eighty one. 
Um, okay. So we had, you know, we had Infidels 83, Empire Burlesque 85. Infidels has what? Has a couple good songs. Doesn't it have Dark Eyes on it? That, that that's Dark the last track Empire on Empire Burlesque, which is absolutely okay, a high, yeah, it's great. high watermark for like ballads, Dylan ballads in the 80s. Actually. It's a good one. I haven't heard that in a long time. What's it called? Dark Eyes? It's the last song. It, it doesn't sound that. anything no, like the rest. It's very subdued, just guitar and harmonica. It's like really beautiful. The rest of the record is... Yeah. Not. <laughs> I was just going to ask what, so like, um, you know, the dead, uh, I'm more familiar with like, you know, the dead and co stuff that's been going on the last decade or, or so. And they play like, you know, I think they played city field here in New York and they played Dodger stadium or something out in Los Angeles. Were they like back then, were they playing like baseball stadiums and football stadiums and stuff? Or were they playing smaller, like oh, yeah, yeah, clubs? Yeah. No stadium. It was okay. But, I mean, Plato would still play theaters. Like I never got to see him on the West Coast, but it was like you always try to see him at the Greek Theater in Berkeley. Like that was supposed to be the best place to see them. But um, it's funny because one of the smaller places I did see them is here at Saratoga Springs Performing Arts Center. Oh wow! And that was, I guess, they had been like banned or something for a while, and this was their first night back in a long time in '88. Yeah, I saw them in 91 at RFK in D.C. And I felt, I literally, this is not an exaggeration, I, I slept and fell asleep in the metal seats. <laughs> and I saw them on, at- on purpose? No, I was just kind of tired. Yeah, yeah it's, it, it happens. Was it a good time, though? Did you have a nice nap in the middle and then wake up and have, go, oh, I'm still here? I did here. not have a nice time. I had a nice time, I think, before we went into the show. Uh, and then the show, I had been to like the, the concert scene before, like to the parking lot before, mm-hmm. like my high school friends, we just go out there to like hang out. Uh, and that was always fun. But going to the actual show, I would say was, was less fun. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That, <laughs> Were you, did you take drugs? I don't know. Yeah. Probably. Who knows? I don't think you would have fallen asleep if you were on acid. I would just guess. That's true. That's right. Good. No, I, was, I was definitely was not. It's kind of just in the air there, I would assume. You just kind yeah. of like naturally absorb some of it. It's from a really room. long face. That really long drum, drum, drum section. Face, yeah. Yeah. I was, I was underwhelmed. Underwhelmed by space. <laughs> uh, I was always drag, unless you were like tripping so, so hard. But, yeah, they were playing stadiums back then. I saw them at Foxborough a few times. It was always better to see them at smaller places. You could always see Jerry Garcia Band at small theaters, and that was why kind of why that was more fun. Sometimes. Right? Is the I've always kind of been curious about the experience of going to a dead show because I haven't. You know, I've been to stupid you know music festivals and shit like that. But like, he's um, he's going to the, to a show. You know, like seeing Dead at a fifty thousand person stadium. Is it like? are you there to see the show on stage and like get into the music or is it more of sort of like a communal kind of experience? That's what I was trying to figure out because to me, like at that age, even though, you know, it was, it was, it was like, you know, the early nineties, it felt like their peak was so in the distant past that you're, you were, you were just going for the spectacle no, of the party. I would lot. be there and just like, I would take, you know, a hallucinogen, and mm-hmm. I would just hang on every note. <laughs> you really? really? Yeah. I, I mean, that's kind of like the the divide that I think still exists with Bob Dylan too. Though, like, there's 
not that people do acid at Bob Dylan shows, but like there are the people who kind of go for like just a very tepid nostalgia. And then there's people who go because they, they really are still in it. Right. Yeah. I mean, my, my experience with the Bob Dylan shows, I saw him, I guess I saw him in 89. I saw him, you know, maybe five times in New York throughout whatever the last 20 years. And it was always bad. You know, it was always, it was always not musical and not rewarding at all, but just, the, my enjoyment of the show depended entirely on how close I was to him and how much you could see him and like just look at him and study him. Mm. And that was that was the thrill. But then I guess it was last year, maybe the two years ago, I saw my friend Josh and I went and saw him at the Beacon. I and was, he was I was at those shows, too. He was actually tremendous. He and he was it. he seemed so into it. And he actually sang melody and he like it was very creative. And it was I was totally wowed by it. Yeah, those were those were fantastic shows. It's it's so funny to me. Like that was the first time I've I've seen or got the chance to see Bob, um, and uh, it was so funny to me to see like how um, how like psyched up and and into it like the audience wanted to be. Most of whom were these like you know moneyed kind of right. boomers from Westchester, New Jersey. I'm assuming, um, and Bob is just giving them these these like completely reimagined and like just a totally different kind of arrangements and versions of these songs that they can't even recognize, but they're still like they're trying to get into it as much as possible. And I you know I think it's fucking awesome, but it's such a it's such a weird kind of like um, juxtaposition between what the people who were there. Um, expect from him or want from him, you know, at least the, you know, kind of the prototypical boomer fan wants from him and what he's, you know, kind of still giving to them when he's like, I don't know, I'm expecting to hear hits at this point. Yeah. I mean, Josh, really? told me he saw him and like, people were like, play fucking blowing in the wind. Yeah. People definitely wait for that. It's so weird. Yeah. But yeah. I think he played a, uh, he played a, at, at the show I was at, at least he played a relatively Tempest heavy set, um, <laughs> which is uh, pretty ballsy. I love Tempest. Yeah. I'm a Tempest man. Yeah. Are you really? Okay. I, I really think it's one of his best, like his most interesting records in the last, you know, in the mo- modern era, the last 10, 15 right. years. Okay. It's so yeah, funny I've got, and I've weird. Got in my, uh, in my, in does he my, always? Does he always play Silvio live? I like that. No, traveling Wilburys. I don't know. Silvio. No. Silvio I've was on. A, it was right before the Wilburys. Oh, I saw him play it. Oh, really? Yeah, that was my favorite Dylan live. It, that was the time I saw him when Daniel Lanois was in the band, but that was a really small theater. Uh huh. That might made sense then, because Silvio actually, we just talked about it on the last episode uh, for Down in the Groove, uh, was uh, like partially written with um, the Grateful Dead, and I think they all like played on it. It was supposed to be uh, like yeah. Bob's version of a Grateful Dead song or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think Down in the Groove it. has a couple good songs, doesn't it? Couple, a couple good songs by pure chance. Yeah, yes, couple. Yeah, one emphasis on a couple. What, what year is the Blood Red Sky one? Um, that's like ninety. Ninety. Okay, 90? that's got. I think I know it has for a fact. It has one good song. I might have more. We're not there yet. No. Yeah. <laughs> no. Like you just said, that there's this urge that people have to want to go to dead shows or to see or to see Dylan. With a dead show, it's like every few dead shows you go to, your trip lines up perfectly with the set. And it's like a beautiful experience and everything works out. With a Dylan show, every few Dylan shows you go to, he's engaged and you're engaged. And these are like the reasons why you come back. And uh, the question that is uh, before us today is, um, 
specifically, I guess, about Dylan and the Dead, the live record, um, does it capture the good part of either of those? Yeah. That's the question. I would say, I'd say no. <laughs> I I mean, Mylon and I like, put it on. We listened to it just to the little refresher with my seven and eight year old daughters at, over breakfast. We listened to basically the whole thing on Monday morning. Everything affection I have for it is for like just the flaws in both <laughs> parties that are so apparent. Right. It's like objectively not very good. I just I I like it because I like anything by those I people. Thought that, well, I, so we're gonna go song by song. Yeah, yeah, we'll just go. I think there's only seven songs on the record. Yes. So the first one is what? The first uh, one it's got, is it's slow train. Slow train coming. Yep. Yeah. Which, I mean, it's never been one of my favorite songs. Fair. No. You know. No. I, that's right. I always hold. I always feel like that is my. The first, the, just because that record, I never loved that record, even though it's so early. But like, it's just feel like between Desire and that is when he he fell off. Is when everything changed. I like the keyboard player on Slow Train coming the album, and but on like you got to serve somebody. But that's the only thing that that's the best part of that record for me. And it's weird because like <clears throat> Brent Midland and the Grateful Dead, who was their keyboardist at that time, was a phenomenal B three player. And it was like genuinely exciting when he'd fire up the organ with the Leslie speaker. And you don't, there's none of that on that record, which just seems like a missed opportunity. I don't think, yeah. Yeah. Oh, oh figure. It's like, oh, I bet the organ's going to shred on this. Like, nope. It, it feels like a record of consistent missed opportunity. Yeah. <laughs> I say that having today, like I really wanted to try to do some digging and see if there were other, you know, other full show recordings that were on YouTube or whatever of um, times where Dylan and the Dead were playing. And there are, and some of them are really good, actually. And like everything you want to work out of these, that combination on a few of those tracks, like uh, on these other shows really works. I thought um I thought I want you was pretty decent actually yeah, yeah. Uh, that was the only one that I could imagine actually like if it came on like not not like not turning it off but but also just like <laughs> going back to slow train I mean if they're gonna mine anything from slow train I feel like a song like precious angel is like more of like a no brainer for like a dead Dylan collab but like sure, yeah that doesn't doesn't happen. Yeah, interestingly, like you, you kind of expect, like you know, so like, what's the difference between a Bob Dylan live show and a a Bob Dylan live show where he's playing with the Dead, right? Like, aren't the Dead going to make themselves kind of apparent and and felt throughout? Like, isn't that isn't that what you would expect from something like that? And there's a couple moments on the record where you get that, but consistently and Slow Train, you know, right off the bat, it just kind of sounds like a pretty like. Kind of uninspired. Yeah, the, backing the, the rhythm stuff. Yeah, playing with the bad rhythm playing it, Yeah, but they're playing it really straight. They're not like doing the groovy stuff. Oh, yeah. It's all they're all like snare on the two and four, and Phil is is hitting the is rooted playing the root the whole time. It's just like I'm I don't trying know. to do that though. They're so get me out of here. Best at it. But I, I, I did think I want you is pretty decent. Yeah, that has um, Jerry, second track. It's, Second. Oh, okay. Well, I, thought, I, I thought Jerry did a good that's job. That's the thing. It's just really right in Jerry's, Jerry's wheelhouse. Yeah. It's got a bluegrass type cross picking thing and that riff, and then he can just 
he can just riff on that for days. Yeah, he's good. And, and I thought it was pretty good. And yeah. I thought Bob sounded like he was like he was enjoying it. Yeah, and it was that tempo. Was it tempo? <laughs> Which is like <laughs> Which was high, nice. High praise. <laughs> yeah, that's one of the best things you can say about it. About it. Got that I good tempo. <laughs> that tempo's really popping. Is that the one where Jerry takes a really nasty, really terrible guitar solo with a distortion pedal? No, that's Watchtower. Oh God. Okay, I we'll, like, get, we'll, I get, like we'll, we'll get there. Um, yeah, I, I think uh, I think this is is one of the more successful uh, successful tracks on on the record. It uh, yeah, I was kind of impressed with the dead bother to like learn learn all the parts. Yeah, Jerry clearly learned all the parts. I had the feeling that that's something that they played in the sixties. Oh, the, the dead played it. Yeah. Back okay. Day. Here, I wanted to talk to you guys because the thing is, is that in the eighties, the dead the the dead did a lot of Dylan covers, yeah, yeah. right? And a lot of their Dylan covers were like a you know run of the mill Dylan cover with Bob Weir singing was better than most of what's on the Dylan. And the dead yeah, record. yeah. I mean, there's so many good. Uh, it's all over now, baby blues. Over the years, with with Bob Weir singing, oh, really? Wow. Yeah. Um, the the one thing back if you're if we're bringing up the singing, it's like the a consistent knock against this record that I notice is Bob Dylan specifically uh, singing. It sounds like he just doesn't know the words. Like he just forgets a lot of the words. Okay. <laughs> For me, like in a live show, like that's like really a mood killer. Is like if I get the feeling like they don't know what what the next line is. Yeah, it's no it doesn't feel great in the audience. There's a famous clip actually of Bob Weir. It's I think it's me and my uncle maybe. He gets to a verse. It's a live it's on YouTube. It's live. He gets to the to to the, the next a verse comes up and he's about to start singing. He forgets the words. And instead of stopping the band or like asking what the words, he just stands there and the band just jamming on the little group. He, he's up there for five minutes. Just like what wow. <laughs> just having a freak out or something. <laughs> It's like time is stopped. Is he wearing a? Uh, I think he's wearing shorts. Yeah, <laughs> I was gonna say that's like a a big thing, and a lot of these. Every time I've searched photos of Dylan and the Dead, like you see those cutoffs. Yeah, yeah that's a yeah. classic. You gotta do the cut. If you're playing with Bob Dylan, you gotta do the cutoffs. That's a classic look. If you're Bob Weir. If you're Bob Weir. You gotta do cutoffs all the time. <laughs> Still do it. Well, Old man wear? No, no. When I he was wearing long pants. He's grown up a bit. He wasn't. <laughs> how old was he when he was wearing the cutoffs last? I mean, probably. Yeah, I mean, he's the youngest guy he in was the in his, dead thirties. Yeah, was he Bob 40s? was in his thirties. Like that was. His... I mean, he was like what seventeen when they started it, mm-hmm. right? Wow. Yeah. So he was wearing cutoffs for most of his life. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I. Um, what, it's funny because, like, when I was seeing them, then I was young. Like, Were I was you a wearing kid. Oh yeah, I wore cutoffs and like. Cosmic Charlie shirt. (laughs) But anyway, I I like, so I was like, oh, there's old, but like they were like 35. I wonder, yeah, I guess so. But Jerry looked like he was seven. Yeah, Jerry always looks so old. Yeah. You know, Jerry. Yeah. Uh, So what what, what we've got here with the next track is, I guess, what's called in in Deadhead parlance a sandwich of uh, sorts, Mm -hmm. where we have Slow Train, I Want You, and then Gotta Serve Somebody. So we've got two pieces of religious bread, and then Mm. in the center is a a classic tune. Oh, yeah. Gotta Serve Somebody. And again, not one of my favorites. Not one of my favorites at all. I like the song 
Um, but that version was didn't do much for me. <laughs> so Walter, yeah, I never like you're not a big that Christian person. Christian period guy. No, I like no, I am. I mean, I like the I I I don't like. I think it's really interesting, and I think like I don't know if he was. But I think like that. I was telling Walt like that the the lyric of you got to serve somebody is like to me reminds me of like uh Kierkegaard Christian existential oh, wow. so I like, but again I wanted to hear like a massive B3 mm. presence or <laughs> something and it's just like what are you going to do a really low a energy catch a break yeah <laughs> Low energy chugle with no yeah. three. Yeah. The 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 dreaded tepid chugle. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. The um. I, I. It's interesting that uh, I guess it's a seven song record, so percentages are are weird. But like you know, two of the seven are from um, Slow Train, and right. um, you know that's such a like distinctive sounding record with the the Mark Knopfler like guitar kind of smooth. <laughs> oh right, like, and Knopfler did Knopfler produce that record? He didn't produce it. No, no, Knopfler. No, Knopfler produced uh, Infidels, but um, right. it was remember oh. it was the Jewish guy that Bob tried to convert to Christianity. Wexler producing him. Wexler down in Muscle Shoals. Oh, yeah. Jerry Wexler. Exactly. Yeah. Um. But uh, but yeah, Knopfler played guitar. Jerry Wexler produced Slow Train Coming. You're saying? Mm-hmm. Yep. Oh, yeah. Um, and he, he recruited Knopfler to play guitar and he, you know, he was kind of like the signature sound on that record plus Mm -hmm. with like the, the backing vocals. Um, and like it, it, to me, I guess, you know, this goes to show what I know about the dead. It seems like there would be kind of a, like an easy way for the dead to reinterpret the kind of guitar playing that Knopfler does, but I get, it just, it doesn't, if there is, it doesn't come through on the record. Yeah. Jerry's like, he likes to do his own thing. Mm-hmm. At its best, in a lot of these other recordings I've heard, which I'd en- I'd encourage people to go on YouTube and listen to, like there's a Eugene Oregon show or something. I think that like the there's moments of it where like you get the dead kind of approximating like the blonde on blonde backing band in like feel like they are doing all this spontaneous dead stuff that you would hope right. to occur that this doesn't really happen on, on here. All these quirky little fills and things. Right. Yeah. I could imagine, I could imagine if done right, dead backing up Bob Dylan could be great. I think they probably could have gotten, it would have taken a like, better record from just from song selection. I don't know. Maybe better yeah. I'm, I'm curious who, who picked them out. I want to know. I bet it was Jerry. I read. I think I read it was Jerry. Uh Bobby. Well, Jerry was the only person in the band who gave a shit. Uh Like Jerry was the workaholic in the band. All the other guys were always just doing what whatever, and he held it all together. And Jerry seemed to be a real sincere uh, Bob fan. I mean, their their friendship really seemed to be a really deep one actually yeah i mean i remember mylon actually telling me that that bob dylan considered jerry garcia to be to be the fountain of american music yeah bob Bob, like looked at jerry as a big brother like he i mean and we all like you know walt and i are like we all look at dylan like he's you know the son of kings and but you know and for and then you know here's a guy jerry who dylan looked up to so that's, and then uh, he, 
That's so interesting. He's a really idiosyncratic musician too. You know, he's someone who never could really have commercial appeal, and you know, except for Touch Except for Touch And he didn't write lyrics. No, and he didn't write lyrics. He was just like a and just and he was a music obsessive. So, but yeah, Dylan just really looked up to him and just like thought like just he had a complete mastery of American song. And so, is Jerry older than Bob Dylan? No, they're the same age. Uh-huh. Yeah, I read this uh, bit of, uh, I guess, not reporting, but uh, just some written anecdotes um, about Dylan's uh, experience, like how he got into, how this even happened, um, where he uh-huh. was playing with them. And apparently what he wanted was for him, Dylan wanted to be a full-time member of the Grateful Dead. Oh really? Yeah, he literally wanted to just join the Grateful Dead. As as what a as a singer or as like a- as just whatever he was doing here. I I don't know if he wanted to just sing. I think he just kind of wanted to be part of it. And right. um, it's actually interesting to think about. It just occurs to me now because we're about to do after this the Traveling Wilburys that maybe oh, yeah. that's what he was sort of searching for, which he he found a, a, eventually with the in right. the Wilburys was this kind of like uh, fraternal brotherhood of, of jamming and hanging out. I wonder, I mean, I always felt like he was dragged into the Wilburys. Maybe that was just, he just seems like every, <laughs> anything that he did that people liked, he was, he was dragged into it. So I was assumed he was dragged into the Wilburys, but maybe not. I don't, I, I, that's sort of just a, a hunch. I, I feel like the Wilburys, um, it, from what I've seen, there's like a little really adorable little documentary on. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I've seen that. That, yeah. um, He's no he Dylan himself doesn't participate in it at all. He doesn't. He he's the only one who doesn't talk to the camera about being in the Wilburys. But it isn't that weird. Like all the guys show up in their limos, and Bob Dylan shows up driving his own van wearing a sweatshirt. Uh, I don't know, but that sounds true. <laughs> but uh, in any case, um, we we are left with the the twin artifacts of Dylan wanting to hang out with his boys in um right in mm-hmm. Dylan and the Dead and the Traveling Wilburys records respectively. Yeah, I think I think it's clear like at this point just to sort of look at this contextually in the in the in the Bob discography at this point that like, you know, he was kind of just looking to looking to get his kicks and have a good time at this point cuz like he's not he's not writing good songs anymore. He's not putting out um, you know, critically or commercially successful records. Um, his his performances are like weird, and he looks weird. Right. Um, <laughs> and so it's just like you know, why not? Why not just like hang with the boys and like you know, cash some checks, go on tour, play the classics. You don't have to write anything new. Um, right. And you know, just just kind of uh, get what you can out of it while you can. Um, and then you know, I, I think a couple years after this, Bob sort of reengages and and kickstarts the. I guess sort of like the third act of his career um, once we get closer into the nineties. Um, but, um, but yeah, for this time, I guess he, you know, he's just kind of trying to float around and, and do what he can. Right. You know, I remember the part in the, uh, in uh, the Chronicles book where he talks about how he like forgot it. I think it was when he was on tour with the, with the Wilburys. I know with the, with the top head. Yeah, we actually and just he, read this. I think the quote that you're referencing last. Well, he was talking about like something about he. I forgot how to sing or something like that. He's like, I don't. I didn't know really how to 
not so much how to literal literally how to sing, but he's saying that he doesn't right. know how to really do anything with these songs. He doesn't right exactly like yeah strange strangers to him yeah and I think right. he actually did say later that Jerry Garcia kind of taught him how to do his own songs again, and oh, wow. and that doing this was, I think in a way, sort of like healing, like for him of like getting back to base of like how how can i get back on the saddle right and we're left with the uh yeah, with hope, the album i hope they're getting a lot out of it more yeah. than we are <laughs> dylan and the dead yeah themselves got more out mm-hmm. of it than in the audience, in the audience, yeah. yeah, exactly. Well, they they certainly got uh, they got a they got a decent check out of it. I think the the record was was quite successful. The fourth song um, is it Joey? The next one yeah. is uh, uh, Queen Jane, approximately. Queen Jane. Okay, oh, yeah. that's not terrible. That's not terrible. Yeah, because he's like, is did Phil fuck it up yet? Did Phil fuck it up yet? And um, well, it's like I think I went out to pick up a pizza. Yeah, <laughs> Phil, Phil, no, Phil held. He it held down. it down. The baseline. It was fine. It was good. I mean, I would, yeah, know, that I would one's never. In the I want you category. Into, I think it's slightly worse than I want you. But yeah, that I, was in their repertoire too with Bob Weir singing, so they knew that one better. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they yeah. seemed to be pretty decently worse on that. It was, it was fine. I mean, I'll never have a hankering to hear it as long as I live. But, <laughs> oh. but they got through it. They got through it. They got the yeah, what yeah. At the end of the day, you just got to get uh, from the beginning tempo, to end. Tempo is decent. Yeah. <laughs> are any of these songs uh, that are played like either of your guys' favorites? Do you, do they actually? That, that one's one of mine. Jane, Jane is one of mine. Is one of yours? Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I think my list of favorites is very long, but that's definitely among among the in that list. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I th- Ian, you you also would say that right you you're yeah, queen I'm a, jane I'm a queen, I'm a queen jane fan i i generally think of blonde on blonde actually is my least favorite of the kind of like the classic three well, but that's, that's not always 61 damn okay all right i'm you know what i'm thinking visions of johanna yeah i yeah, I, yeah. Up. I shouldn't have a bob dylan podcast jane. clearly no worries <laughs> i it's like a totally understandable error because i do I do think Queen Jane is like kind of as close to blonde on blonde vibes as Highway 61 gets. No, because it's a Highway 61 vibe. They sound so different. I now we need to have you guys on for like when we inevitably do what what our podcast actual, is forbidden to do, which is yeah. talk about the good classic records. Yeah, good albums, yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> what are what are your guys' uh you know kind of uh, top two, top three? Record wise, like yeah, the, like the Bring It All Back Home, Highway 61, Blonde. I mean, that's blonde. the big right. three. They're kind of the best. I mean, yeah, I like I like everything before every like I like from the beginning to oh, Desire. Oh, I stop oh, at Desire. Oh. Not that I stop, but everything changes. Mm. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I really like Nashville Skyline. Hey, hey, uh, hey! Ian's I'm, a I'm, huge Nashville. I'm the resident guy. Nashville Skyline yeah. guy. That's my. That's number one okay. in my heart. Yeah, yeah, I remember in high school when I was totally obsessed with Bob Dylan hearing Nashville Scotty, and I heard that voice, and I was just like, what the fuck is he? I was just I was angry. It's so, I, could not, oh, I could not figure out why he was singing like that. I fell in love with it. I, I still love it. It's so beautiful. Oh, yeah, it's great. Mm-hmm. Well, that brings us, uh, I think, to the to the end to the end of side A, at least, um, with Ooh, Dylan and okay. the Dead. We're... <laughs> <laughs> We're about ready to, uh, I guess, get to, uh, I, I don't know if it's, 
if we're about ready to move on. I don't know that it's going to get to a high point uh, necessarily, but uh, certainly a later point in this record. Um, next song, uh, Joey, the the Desire classic. That's the that's the first mm-hmm. song on side B. That's the first song on side B. Side A is finished, um, and we'll join you uh, next time with, where we discuss side B of the great live record, Dylan and the Dead. Uh, <laughs> you on the flip side. See you on the flip side, exactly. Joker man. <laughs>